whilst we're getting the stage ready, I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. And uh, we have a video for you this morning. And so before we dive into God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to the screen. Hi there. Hi. Nice day, huh? Yeah, finally, right? Where are you from? Your English is perfect. San Diego. We speak English there. Oh, uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> where are you from? Well, I was born in Orange County, but I never actually lived there. Uh, I mean before that. Before I was born. Yeah, like, well, where are your people from? Well, my great-grandma was from Seoul. Korean. I knew it. I was like, she's either Japanese or Korean. But I was leaning more towards Korean. Amazing. Yeah. I'm Shasina. There's a really good teriyaki barbecue place near my apartment. So I actually really like kimchi. Cool. What about you? Where are you from? San Francisco. But where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm just American. Really? You're Native American? No, uh, just regular American. Oh, well, uh, I guess my grandparents are from England. Oh, well... Hello, governor! What's all this then? Top of the morning to you. Let's get a small tea, small tea! Double, double, toil and trouble! Mind the gap! Beware, Jack the Ripper! Bloody hell! Pip, pip! Cheerio! I think your people's fish and chips are amazing. You're weird. Really? I'm weird? Must be a crane thing. So if you are um, joining our church for the first time today, welcome to our series on Loving Out. It's a part of unpacking what God has been saying to us as a church and the kind of church He's wanting us to become. And uh, that's a church that loves up, that loves in and loves out. And last week we kicked off with a, a very fun way of uh, knowing your neighbor. And yesterday my little girl, she baked a banana bread while we were both learning to bake. I'm just being honest. If you get something baked from me, just brace yourself. Not quite sure what you're going to get. But our, our, our neighbor graciously got a banana bread from us yesterday and we had a chat. And uh, we said last week, this is all in response to the second great commandment, which is an overflow of the first, which is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, right? And so last week we looked at the joy of knowing where to start. It's not complicated. It's those persons who are right next to you, where you work, where you play, where you stay, where you worship. And so in knowing where to start, it's very helpful. It's so proximate. It's so it's so attainable, although it, it does bring its challenges. And part of the reality of, of knowing our neighbor today is to continue this theme of knowing our South African neighbors. I said last week that we are in an unprecedented age of people movement, right? How many of us have been touched by people who have immigrated or have immigrated in some way? How many families here have people that have, have immigrated? Yeah? How many of us have families that have, have, have come into the country? I was thinking about... Our townhouse complex, um, Gail and Grant are also part of it now, but um, there are 30 units, I think, is that right? Hey, there's 30 units, eh? Hey, 
Um, and uh, I was calculating how many different families are just in these 30 units alone. We have Ghanaian, we have Xhosa, we have English, we have Afrikaans. We recently had Italian. Gail and Gran kicked them out, <laughs> bought their spot. Uh, we have, I've got some more here. We've got Chinese. Um, we've got Indian. That's in just one townhouse complex alone. Isn't it incredible? That in our neighborhoods, like never before, we have experienced this word called diversity. And uh, diversity is more than just race or language. It includes different gender, socioeconomic levels, levels of education. And um, in the last 70 years, sociologists will say that, that neighborhoods have gone from being monocultural largely to multicultural at a scale we've never seen before, right? And so for us as South Africans getting to know our neighbor here in East London, the reality is it's most likely going to be somebody very different, looks different, sounds different, and lives differently to you and me. And I want to say this morning, where does the church stand on this? Because the whole point at the moment, diversity is a hot topic across the world, and even in our recent elections, right, we have people who, who, who are playing certain um, individual or identity cards. But the reality is, what does the church have to say? Are we just going to be politically correct? Or in actual fact, does diversity touch the heart of the gospel? And we want to look at that today. And I want to say very humbly before you this morning, I am in no way or under any illusions of how far we have yet to go as a church. And this is just another small step in many over the months and years of contending for a future that glorifies the gospel here in our city at SBC. And so I want everyone to feel comfortable here because this is a journey, but at the same time an intentional journey of moving one step forward at a time through engaging with the heart of God for the city of East London. Can I just point out something to you as, as the 10 o'clock? When God looks at East London, that happened at the 8 o'clock. The Bible app, what scripture is that? It might just be prophetic. It might be the second time it's coming up again today. Um, but I want to just point out quickly, because I sense this is what the Lord's wanting to say this morning, is when God looks at the city of East London, do you know he sees you at the center of his sweet spot of going, these guys carry my will forward in the city. He's not looking to government. He's not looking to institutions and businesses. He's looking to his people and saying, guys, I've handpicked you for his son. Because last week we said, do you believe that God has put you where he's put you with a purpose? I want to say, you're here in East London for a purpose. And a part of that is loving out to the neighbor that's South African and most likely looks quite different. So I just want to see, this is going to be a and if God moves us forward dramatically this Sunday, praise God. But I want to be very careful about not being idealistic this morning. I want us to move forward um, in a way that honors the reality of where we find ourselves. So I've got three simple points for you this morning. The first is going to blow you away. Here we go. You ready? Diversity is difficult. Wow. Isn't that just so profound? You can laugh. I thought that would be funny. <laughs> but I want to point out to you guys... We are under no illusions that this is not just pie-in-the-sky stuff, but when you start to break it down into everyday life, it's not that easy, right? And I want to point out to you why. Because we, are started off, we start off with disadvantage in this area. 
we start off being born fallen, and what we've inherited is something called the sinful nature. And what the sinful nature does is it creates categories in our hearts to define who's worthy of our love. In other words, what we do according to self-interest and privilege, and, and nobody here is exempt from this, we define who is worthy of love from our hearts. And it comes through in Scripture quite powerfully, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because you know the story well. Even the world knows the story well. But Jesus gave these two great commands that I shared last week, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the expression of that love being love your neighbor as you love yourself. The two are like. He says, if you want to love God, then do well in loving your neighbor. But there's a clever lawyer, and he says to Jesus, and he knows God's word really well. He says, well, tell me who my neighbor really is. And it's a loaded question because he says to Jesus, and he's a lawyer. He knows the Jewish law. He's saying, in other words, he wants to justify in his heart who his neighbor is. And it's his Jewish lookalike. That's what he's essentially going after. He's saying, I am recategorizing the second great command in order to justify my rejection of those who don't look like me. And Jesus answers with a great parable. Anybody know what that parable is? I'm going to shout it out here. Come on, Ten. I know you know it. Thank you, Howie. Always keeping me humble. I don't normally preach with PowerPoints, but somebody said it would be helpful just to know the main points. So, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know how radical that is. Who is the hero of the story in that parable? It's the? It's not one of the members of God's people. I'm just pointing it out, but this is how the story goes quick. You've got the most godly guy, supposed to be the most godly guy, a priest. And he's walking on the same side of the road where he sees a Jewish guy get beaten up. You know what he does? He quickly crosses the road and he carries on walking as if he can't see him. It is so intentional in this story. The second guy is a Levite. And this is the tribe. They're the, they're the people who are supposed to be set apart as the men of God. Same thing happens. Walking on the same side of the street, he sees a Jewish person beating up his own brother, according to nationality and culture. He co intentionally goes outside of the street and carries on. Now, if it was South African, I was thinking it was probably because you worried that the robbers were waiting on behind the, the trench because this guy was just deployed to get you a, yeah, I can imagine all the things going through their mind. But you notice who the, the, the hero of the story is, somebody who is from a different culture. In actual fact, Jesus uses the Samaritans with purpose because we know historically they hated each other. And I felt like the Lord say, why do you think the Samaritan is the hero in the story and not the Jewish guy? Because I think personally, it's my opinion, but I think there's often areas of the world that are better at loving in this way than we are. And as a church, I feel like God's a bit jealous for us this morning because we look at organizations and people and possibly even other religions loving people different to themselves in ways that are actually, in some sense, putting us to shame. And I want to say to us this morning, God, I'm preaching this sermon because I feel like the Lord is saying we need to catch up a little bit in our hearts first, not our hands, our hearts, for how God is moved by this aspect of diversity. And my second point is this. It is that where does diversity come from? We want to be, a, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this thought. Uh, this is my thought, is 
Haven't you ever thought to yourself, the world would work so much better if everybody thought the same way I did? Anybody have that thought? Oh, come on, don't be so self-righteous, 10. The world would work so much better if everybody obeyed the rules like me, thought like me, lived like me. It would be a lot better place. Anybody ever thought that? Oh, yes. But can I say, where it's helpful for us to start this gospel conversation is to understand where diversity comes from. Do you know, it comes from God himself. That diversity is divine. It is a characteristic of God. Where do I get that from this morning? Do you know that God, who is one, is expressed in how many persons? Can we have it a bit louder? Three. Now, don't you think that's fascinating? You could just have God as one but he expresses himself through three. Are they the same people? Are they, do they look the same? Are they called the same? Are they, are they three, I'm trying to think of identical t- uh, triplets? They have individual characteristics, not so. Father, let's say it together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before we even get to creation and looking at different human beings and different species, before anything was made, God said a characteristic of me is diversity. Now, is in that diversity, is there inequality? Is there? Is the Father more equal than the Son and the Spirit? No. They are equally divine. In other words, though there is diversity, there is unity, and in that unity, there is equality. Are you with me? Well done. And I want to point out to you this morning, That diversity is an expression of God himself. That is why we are not surprised that when God made man, it started with one man, Adam, from whom all the plethora of different cultures and different contexts and different languages eventually developed from. One man being expressed in diversity, but the Bible saying, despite this diversity, there is equality. In that all men are, and women are made in the image of. And so it's no, God's saying, don't be surprised, 10 o'clock. When you see all of these different kinds of human beings on planet earth, it is an expression of my image. And my image, one of my characteristics that is key, that is seen, is diversity. Now, why am I making such a, a, a big point of this? It's because the kind of church that glorifies who God is, is the kind of church that bears the characteristics of him. And one of those characteristics is diversity. So that when the world looks on the church, they get a sense of the glory of God. Wow. You know, if you, I struggle to stomach this. I mean, I, but if you watch those nature shows, I, I hate it when uh, the buffalo is killed by the lion, right? There's this sort of brutality. But the flip side of watching these kinds of shows is that you just cannot get away. That God loves to express himself through the diversity of what he's made. You know, you look at the substance, a single substance called snow. And every snowflake that makes up that one substance is different. Do you know how many flakes of snow there are? When you look at zebra, did you know 
from the front, it looks like the zebras all look the same. They actually don't. They have different stripes. Different species of zebra have different patterns of stripes. One species expressing diversity. When you look at a tree, you have one tree. And have you ever stopped and looked at how every single vein on that leaf is different? Unity expressed in diversity, the characteristic that glorifies God. So I don't want us to be politically correct here. I want us to see that a diverse church is simply mirroring a, mirroring a God that expresses himself, his glory, his person, through this wonderful characteristic of diversity. My third point is this. Am I not doing well, hey? I said I've only got three. My third point is this. Thanks, Marius. Is I want us to move one step closer to touching the heart of God this morning. Is this aspect that the gospel, the gospel is what compels us to diversity. And I want to read this morning something that happened that was very, very important in the early church from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 this morning. But when Cephas, well, that's the, the, the Greek name for Peter, who was the apostle Peter, came to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a, a Gentile city. It's not in Jerusalem, or I mean, not in Judea. He's coming to a bunch of non-Jews. Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came, to, came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. That was the thing. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's happening in this text is the gospel had done something profound in the church of Antioch. And I don't want us to miss it this morning. Do you know what it did? It created a dinner table space where guys from the most diametrically opposed cultures, hear me on this, I'm here. It's fine. Diametrically opposed culture. The Jews and Gentiles were sitting together eating, hanging out, having a lot of fun. And it was beautiful. It was a picture of what was unthinkable before Christ came. The Jewish people were trained and were actually under the law to be separate. And if you notice, I picked it up recently when I was reading the, the death narrative, the narrative of, of Jesus' trials. Those Sanhedrin refused to go into Pilate's palace because Passover was coming, and if they went into a Gentile space, they'd be defiled. And then they couldn't keep the Passover. That's how powerful. To eat with a Gentile was a carnal sin. Cardinal sin. To, to, to have fellowship with a Gentile was a cardinal sin. To have any form of hospitality or friendship that went beyond distant business, custom, and culture was a no-no. And here we see in the, in the church of Antioch, Jews and Gentiles eating 
laughing, fellowshipping, hanging out. It is profound. But something happened here that is of major, major importance. And by the way, talking about hospitality, Joey's preaching next week about how the most powerful weapon in your, in your arsenal for the kingdom is your, is your dinner table. But I want to point out to you today, what happened was these guys came from Jerusalem and they were, they were opinionated men. They were fellow Jews of Peter from, from James in the Jerusalem church. And they put pressure on Peter. And they said, Peter, you are transgressing the law. You are crossing our culture. And by eating with these guys, you are doing what you should not be doing. And Peter, under pressure from the circumcision party, does something painful. Guys, I don't want you to just read that and go, oh, well, they just separate themselves. The night before, they were eating and drinking as brothers and sisters. The next night, they went into separate rooms so that the Gentiles went, went what happened? I thought we were friends. And the next night, you guys separate yourself from us. Can you imagine the pain and the heartache of what happened under Peter? The sense of rejection. And I want to say to you, what Paul did, it was something courageous. He said, Peter, your conduct is not in step with what? The gospel. Paul stood up and he said, listen here, buddy, I've got to call you out here because what you are doing is contradicting the very gospel you got saved into. Now, I want to point out to you today, some of us have been around church for a long time, the gospel is not just something to be believed. You hear me on that? Is we often preach the gospel as you must believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is right. We believe the gospel, but my friend, we also have to behave the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is in our hearts, the gospel is able to act as a judge upon the attitudes and the motives of what is calling us to, or what, we are, or what we are giving ourselves to in relationship. Is that Paul is able to say we can examine our lives about what is contrary or what is in line with the gospel. And my friends, what Peter did here was, was not in line with the gospel. Separating himself and his brothers, his Jewish brothers, from those that were brothers in Christ was not the gospel. And I want to point out to you today, guys, this gospel, it is the most profound thing in the universe. Paul was able to say, your living, Peter, your decision-making here was out of sync with the gospel because what does the gospel tell us? The first thing is this, is that the gospel says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Essentially, Paul is saying, does your culture help you in anything before Jesus? Before the cross, if you are English or Afrikaans or Kosa or whatever it is, your background is, do you get any extra favoritism before Jesus because of the background of your culture? No, my friend. It's what the cross does. It makes us feel a universal need before Jesus, which says, apart from Christ, you're lost. And what these Jews were doing was this. 
It's the second reason why Paul could say, Paul, Peter, your, your, your conduct is out of line with the gospel was these Jews were saying, my culture, my keeping the law, my good works, my moralism. Anybody feel like that? I know I do. When you look at stuff in our city going down and you say they're not doing things that are right or whoever it is, there is a self-righteousness that rises up in us. And I want to say to you, it was the same for the Jews so that Paul could say in the next verse 15, he says, your judgment on the Gentiles is self-righteous. Because you think that by your works of the law, Jews, you think that somehow you have extra favor with God. Don't you know you're saved by grace through faith alone? Don't you know that it's none of your works that you bring to Jesus? By grace, my friend, it is scandalous. We come to a God who loves us in Christ and says, come by faith, not works. But what we tend to do is we look at the works of our culture and we say, these are the things that make us more acceptable to God. I want to say there is one thing. It is Jesus Christ that invites us into fellowship with the God who loves us. Amen. That these works of the law and they are our own even commandments, they are our own cultural norms, we tend to look at other people and weigh them up by it and say, they are more worthy than others. God forbid that is a contrary to the gospel because the gospel says all can come. Because it is by faith through grace that God invites us to experience eternal life. And so the need is universal. The remedy is universal. Oh, but the effects of the gospel is universal, praise God. Is what God will do for anybody here or anybody in the world who comes to faith in Jesus. You know what he does? He binds us together in Christ. Can I just point out to you what happens to an Asian believer? A European believer, an African believer, South American, a North American believer, even those Australian believers. Shame. <laughs> As God says, by sheer grace, they get put into the same body you're in. They might look different. Here's the hand, here's the foot. Nobody's the same. But you're in one body, you're in one kingdom. You have the same king. When we wake up this morning, the world do different time zones in Australia and Asia and Africa and Europe and North America and South America. They had people of different tribes and tongues rising up to worship the same Jesus. The same king is receiving the praise of tribes and tongues of different languages and different contexts and different cultures. Oh, but it's the same kingdom we worship in and the same king. And we have the same father. My friend, when somebody lifts up a different language in prayer and they know Christ, they're praying to the same Father in heaven who loves his children equally. So that when you look at the body of Christ, you are not seeing different cultures, my friend. You are seeing your brothers and sisters in action being loved by the same Father you are experiencing love for. Is what the gospel does is it makes us one. The same spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 2, the dignity of the presence of God across the world is felt by every single believer so that when we come to God, we come as fellow citizens, fellow members of the body of Christ, fellow, fellow worshipers of the King, fellow children in the Father's household, fellow building stones in the foundation in which the presence of God is dwelling in the church. And so when Peter seeks to separate the Jews from the Gentiles, Paul says, you are being anti-gospel because the gospel unites. The gospel makes us one in Jesus. The gospel sets us free 
to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the common ground. And so today, my friend, I want you to say, can we have our hearts just melted by the gospel of Christmas? I, I know the context of our country. I know the culture in our city, but can I just say, can we start with the gospel today? That is the safe place. That's the place that touches the hearts before we start talking about the hands. That is the call, the call upon Christians to go. There is a world watching, and God is wanting to express his love through diversity, through this glorious picture of his image, of, of, of his image being restored in creation through the church. What an opportunity in our day and age. And might I just say, the only reason, I, I want to be helpful, the only reason you and I resist diversity, and I do emphasize me and you, is fear. What does Paul say to Peter? He says, Peter, out of fear of the circumcision party, withdrew. Do you not know what that's like? Not so? And I was thinking, what is this fear that Paul is talking What hold did did, did Peter's countrymen and fellow culturemen have on him that this apostle who had the non-kosher food vision come down to him and say, don't say anything that I've made is unclean. What could possibly have exercised that even Barnabas, even this, this, this son of encouragement, could be taken in? Three simple things that I think of what the fear, root of that fear was. The first is this was, I think when we think about diversity, we're worried about losing our individual culture. Do you hear me on that? That by embracing diversity, we will lose our identity. You with me? Are you with me this morning? I need to see nods. This is very important. Can I say the only culture that God calls us to is gospel culture? And can I say gospel culture is inclusive of cultures. It is not repressive of culture. And in the future, you will hear us, God willing, I know it's putting pressure on Dane, sing Afrikaans, closest songs, English songs. These things of being an expression of who we are in the gospel. My friend, we are afraid that this gospel culture is in some ways going to make us lose our rights. Can I say you lost your rights when you came to Christ anyway? And so the thing is, fears, we, are we going to lose um, that somehow our culture? No, my friend, we only call to one culture, the gospel, and you will find the gospel expresses itself through your culture. The second is this. The fear is, what will our fellow culture people say? I'm very aware that there are many narratives in our city and nation. I mean, the elections were the perfect example. Any of you felt pressure in the elections to go a certain way? You've got the far right going one way, you've got the far left going the other. I want to say, don't think that this aspect of diversity is something that people are just going to applaud around you. It is fallen nature. I don't want to put even South Africa's history, that's not the point. The point is it was an expression of fallen nature. Sin. And I want to point out to you today, you have to be like Paul. I have to be like Paul. You have to stand with courage and say, that is wrong. It's wrong in the gospel. It calls us to unity, not separation. And I want you to feel the courage of the New Testament to say, this is right. Amen? And the third is this. It's just trying to know where to start. That's what I'm like. Just where do I start today? 
can I say to you this morning? Start with your neighbor. With the person that's in your office, that you cycle with, that you do sport with. Start there. And we've got some uh, really cool challenges that are seeking to not just do one cultural experiencing of another, but to kind of mix it up a bit. And what it's like to get involved with your essay neighbor. And the small group's going to be doing it this week. So if you're in a small group, you'll get it. But if you're not in a small group yet, here's a punt to get in one. <laughs> but the second is, I've got the list at the back there with my notes. And we've called it Diversity Challenges. And we want to have a lot of fun doing this because I think this is something quite exciting and far less uh, intense than what we tend to make it in our minds. How are some of these for some fun challenges over the next couple of months? One is catch a taxi to work. By the way, we want you to take a photograph. If you're doing this as a cell group, take a photo and email it to us, us at info at spc.za.net. It's on here in the page. We want to share the stories. Let's catch a taxi to work. Secondly, eat musho or mas. Sleep over at a friend from a different race. Now, please be careful about the content of that sleeping over, all right? Keep it clean. Dress exceptionally smart for church. You know, people dress differently for church. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to see you guys in your best, uh, your best attire. What is that? There we go. Just, you know, when anyone who sees a pastor in a suit, they ask two questions, who died or who's getting married? I'm like, give me a break. I'm celebrating with my brothers and sisters who dress in far more exciting ways, but I've got to say, a very warm way. Um, dress very, if you're a dresser upper for church, why don't you dress down? I loved it this morning. I did a dedication. Yeah, I'm in my suit, and, and the father's dressed in his slops, his blikies, and his, his shorts, and his t-shirt. How about this? Stay after church until, well, maybe a bit longer than this, 12 p.m., drinking tea and coffee and socializing. What a great way to meet other people here, even at church. Learn another culture's dance move. Come on, peer. Hey, I know you got it in you. <laughs> Yay, thank you. Watch rugby. Hey, if, if, this is, if you're like me, I don't normally do this, but watch rugby on the weekend with somebody from another culture. Go and have a picnic on the beach with your family. <laughs> Sit in a different area at each church or at church every Sunday. <clears throat> this place is like concrete, I'm telling you. Take someone out for coffee from a different culture just to talk about what you celebrate in your different cultures. And here's one, and I thought guys laughed at me at the age. I don't think it's such a funny thing. I think it's quite a cool way. Drink tea with no sugar or drink tea with five sugars, whichever one you land on. Order KFC on the end of a month um, of payday. You'll meet lots of other fellow South Africans there. Arrive 15 minutes each earlier for church or do a daily devotion or look out for ways to be a financial blessing. Or have a discussion with your teenager about current trends in dating. That'll blow your mind. How many of you, uh, I asked the Afrikaans guys, do you guys do date nights? It's such an English thing. Afrikaans people do date nights. You do, hey? Ria's nodding. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> well done. Who got brownie points there? Did someone say, I do? Hey, well done. I think it's, you know, what's a date night? It's when you go and spend lots of money on your wife and make her feel like the best thing in the world. How's that, eh? Yeah? Except, yeah, and just, you know, I almost made a comment. Make a list of 20 things that stand out to you about the different essay cultures. Watch Trevor Noah's comedy on It's My Culture with someone from a different background. Guys, we've got a whole city to enjoy here. 
We've got a whole, a whole, a whole country to get to know and take the opportunity of sharing the fragrance of Jesus with. It is a joy to be a South African. It's a joy. And I want to say, don't discount. If you're in this land, you have the greatest opportunity, for God has sovereignly weaved it, that there are many cultures around us here that he's saying, go for it. Be a blessing. And let SBC become a picture of this diversity of God being expressed through his people. Just a total thing aside, I just want to bring us, so just push, pause, uh, stop there. I want you to just launch on it. Uh, one of our um, employees here, um, who's been with us for more than a decade, yesterday uh, his dwelling burnt down. And um, we are out of resources that we have currently um, on hand. And if you have anything that would like to be a blessing to this guy who serves our church and has done so for many, many years, um, would you just come and chat to Pierre afterwards um, or make contact with the office? All that they've got is one bed. And, um, and he's a, he, his name's Saxon. He's a lovely guy. Um, he's been part of us for many years. So I just want to make that appeal. Um, we've run dry. And so if you've, if you've got plenty, you might not think it's plenty, but um, uh, this guy, is, uh, he needs it. And won't you please come and chip in? You want to love on him and be a blessing to him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, it is a joy to be a child of God where you've put us. And I just pray for that joy to come afresh in our hearts. That, Lord, come what may, you'll stay the same in this country. You will be the same God to us yesterday, today, and forever. We've got nothing to lose. And, Lord, you might come before we even got to do all of these things. So, Father, I pray that the culture of heaven would begin to permeate your church on earth where one day, Lord, we're going to stand with brothers and sisters across the globe singing the wonders and praise of Jesus Christ. Might we start to do so now. And I sense you're with us on this. I sense that you are willing and able. So we give ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for the joy of the gospel and for the blessing of being made one in and through Jesus. Amen. Amen.